Great worship this morning. Thank you. Thank you. It's exciting to gather with the church family and to put our focus onto our God and, and to spend time as a family up here worshiping Him. If you have your Bible, if you'd take that and open to 1 Kings chapter 3. Open to 1 Kings chapter 3. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, we're going to continue on our series. We've been talking through the different judges and a few of the kings. So we're going to go to Kings chapter, 1 Kings chapter 3. So have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just weren't sure what to do? Um, have you ever found, found yourself in a dead-end situation where it's like, all right, I'm at, I'm at this situation and I just don't know what to do? It happens to us all the time. We find ourselves looking at, at decisions. We face ourselves with the, we face, we're faced with decisions that we're not ready to make. Uh, we, we react to other people. We react to other things. And today in our lives, we need to know how to be able to deal with that. We're going to be looking today at a king, and this is King Solomon, who had to deal with that. He had a lot of situations that he needed help on. And how do you deal with these situations that, that, don't, that come up and, and you don't know how to handle them? Uh, who was King Solomon? King Solomon... He was not the first king of, of the nation of Israel. Saul was the first king. And then David. However, Solomon was the first king of a son. So uh, David, this was Solomon's, uh, Solomon was David's son. And uh, he wasn't the firstborn son, interestingly. It, he was the tenthborn son. And being the tenthborn son of, of King David, he was also to, uh, one of the sons of Bathsheba. So uh, as we look at this, he wasn't, this wasn't a natural shoe-in for him to be the king. It wasn't like, okay, everybody expected him to be the king. As a matter of fact, if you go to a chapter before, uh, in the chapters before, you'll see that Adonijah, one of the other brothers, was struggling and trying to make an uprising so that he would have been the next king. But Solomon, we see here in 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to take a look at the early days of King Solomon. So let's begin reading together. 1 Kings chapter 3. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. As we open up chapter 3, we see this new king, King Solomon. He's about 20 years old, and he's now reigning on the throne. And uh, as, as he's there, uh, one such common custom of a king of the day, not necessarily the kings of Israel, but the kings of the other nations, one common custom was that they would take wives from other countries. They would make a treaty so here we see in verse 1, Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married one of Pharaoh's daughters. So he brings one of Pharaoh's daughters into his house. And, uh, and as you see there, he keeps, keeps her there throughout all the time of building. And this is one of his treaties with, with, uh, with a foreign country. Now this made political sense, but it wasn't spiritual sense. I'm so thankful. Whenever I read the Bible, I see people in here who made mistakes, but yet God still used them. And Solomon was used by God, but yet he made several mistakes along the way. And, uh, and this was one of them. He went and he, he, he took a, a wife from another country, brought, him in, brought her in 
to, uh, to his household, and that was the, the treaty between him and the nation of uh, Egypt. The people were also worshiping the Lord in high places. Uh, what the high places were, they were kind of like local places. God had designed originally that they would come together and worship at the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant to worship in a central location. But uh, at this point, you can see there in, in the scripture there, it says that they, they were sacrificing in the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until, uh, uh, until those days. So Solomon was building the temple. One of his jobs was to build the temple. It was a peaceful time. His father David was a warrior. Solomon was a peaceful person. And uh, he, he got the reign during a peaceful time. He was known for his building projects. And uh, as, as we continue on here, we see that Solomon was worshiping the Lord in these high places. Now, the problem with the high places was that God didn't ordain them. God, God didn't say, hey, just go have a place of worship wherever you want. He had told them how to worship and where to worship. The Canaanites, they had brought up little places of worship. And they, that was their custom. And while they were worshiping the Lord only, um, we see that David, when King David was alive, Solomon's father... When he was alive, he didn't worship in those high places. Only Solomon now does. After David has died, Solomon is king. He's doing the more convenient worship. And he's chosen the more convenient route. And he's worshiping the Lord in these high places. Uh, verse, uh, the next verse here, verse 4. And Solomon uh, loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Verse 3, that is. Walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. So like father, like son, we see Solomon is following in the steps, footsteps of his, of his father. He is trying to seek the Lord. He's, he's walking in the ways of the Lord. And the, look at that word, though. It says that he followed in the ways of the Lord, except, except that he went the convenient route. He went more the, this convenient place of worship. And so look at verse 4 here now. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. And Gibeon is where the tabernacle and the brazen altar were located. So he went to a greater high place. And uh, Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. He's so desiring to, he's so desiring to follow the Lord. He, his passions are to follow God. And he is zealous to follow the Lord. So he takes his whole leadership team. If you go over in 2 Chronicles... You would find the account there of what, uh, of what Solomon did. And he took his whole team over there, and they're worshiping the Lord, and he sacrifices 1,000 sacrifices. Now, typically, it would be one sacrifice. But he comes with his team, and he brings them unto, uh, unto this place of worship, and with his team, he worships the Lord with 1,000 sacrifices. And not only is it showing his zeal, it's showing the resources that God gave him. God had given him so much. And so he's responding to the Lord. He is seeking the Lord. Now look here in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? Solomon had taken the, the sacrifices. It was a busy day of work for the Lord. He was worshiping the Lord. And by day, he was worshiping the Lord. And by night, God was coming to him and giving him rest, giving him peace. God was speaking to him by night. Psalm 17.3 says, You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me. You have found nothing. I have purpose that my mouth shall not, 
I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. So he says that here, by night. And so, you know, when we're busy for God, we give God our daytime. We serve Him. You go to work, and you have your work, your task to do at your job, but you're serving God. You give Him the top priority. He gives us the rest in Him. The night belongs to Him. Look at Psalm 46.10. says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Be still. Know that I am God. It's in that quietness. You know, that's what happens at night most of the time, right? Nighttime, it gets quiet. We become silent. And God has a chance to speak to us many times. Uh, another, another translation says to, uh, to, to get out of the way of the traffic. Get out of the traffic and be quiet so that you will know that I am God. And that really, to me, helps me understand our culture, isn't it? We're in such a traffic culture. We're in such a busy, fast-paced world that I can't even hear God some of the times because I'm so busy, and I've got this going on, and I have that going on, and I'm just staying so busy, and I've forgotten to worship the Lord. I don't even have my nights at time because I'm so busy. Be silent. Be still. Know that I am God. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. So God tells Solom, Solomon, Ask, what do you want me to give to you? Now think about that. Here's a 20-year-old king. He's new on the throne. What would a 20-year-old king ask for? Quite possibly a 20-year-old king would ask for, uh, enough wealth. Give me all the gold. I'd like to be the richest country. Show them all that you. Show them all who Israel really is. I'd like for you to wipe out all of my enemies. Would you? Would you just take and destroy all the enemies? I want to have total peace. I'd like to be on the throne forever. No. What does he do? He comes back and he has a different response than those things. But I want you to think about what would you ask for if God came to you and said, "Ask, what do you want me to give to you?" How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question? Would you say, uh, God, you know, I'm thinking about most 20-year-old people. What would 20-year-old people ask God for, you know? Uh, God, if God came to a 20-year-old person today in our church and said, ask, what do you want me to give to you? Uh, it might be that new car I was thinking about. It might be the college bills to be paid. It might be for that mate. And they, they have all, we have all these things that are so important to us. What would you ask? How would you respond to that question? Do we have the right to ask? Are we allowed to ask? God told Solomon, just ask, and I will, I will give this to you. What do you want me to give to you? And so, look at Matthew 7, 7. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So, Scriptures tell us that, that we have this right to come before God. You get to come and ask things of the Lord. Uh, John fifteen seven says, If you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be given to you. It shall be done for you. You'll ask what you would desire and it shall be done for you. Now, look at, look at the condition here. The condition is, if you abide in me and my words in you, then you will ask and whatever you desire, it will be done for you. But the desire, God changes our desire. We come before him, we are abiding in him, and his word's in us. So we have his word, we have him, we have this relationship strong with the Lord, and he says, you then have the right to ask. 
1 John 5.14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, so many times we, get, we can get off track on the whole asking side because we're asking according to my will. Oftentimes I'm looking with my best interest. I'm looking at what, I, what, what makes me feel comfortable and not necessarily what is God's will. So God says here, look at, look at the verse. You have the confidence that we have in him that if you ask anything according to his will, he hears. Verse 6 of our, of our passage, 1 Kings 3, 6. Uh, And Solomon said, uh, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. He remembers, first of all, God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. God says, ask. And how does he respond? The first thing he responds, God, you were with my father David. When David was on the throne, he walked uprightly, and he walked with you, but you were there. And I want to remind you of that. I'm coming and remembering your faithfulness. You are the great king. You are the God of the universe. And I remember your faithfulness, O Lord. Verse 7, Now, O my Lord, O Lord my God, You have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. He says, I am now your servant. David is dead. My father David, you did great things for him, but he's gone. And now you have made me your servant. And I want you to think this morning about this whole thought of being a servant of God. Um, David comes before, uh, Solomon comes before the Lord here, and he's, he's admitting his own inadequacies. He's saying, Lord, I have weakness. I need you. I am like a little child. He was 20. He wasn't a little child. If you go over into 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, you would see that David told him uh, while he was still alive. He says, you are a wise man. So he comes before the Lord, and he says, I have a weakness I don't know. I'm 20. I don't know how to do this. I I don't know how to come and go as the king. And he was in a humble place. He humbled himself before the Lord. So he thanks the Lord first of all, remembers who he is, and then he comes back and he admits his own weakness. Do you realize today that this king was called by God? He was a servant of the Lord. He says, I am your servant sitting on this throne. And I want you to think today about your life. You were saved to serve. God saved you to serve him. Uh, That is a gigantic part of our Christian walk, is saved to serve. Um, Have you ever wondered why God just didn't didn't, uh, take us right to heaven when you accepted Christ? Wouldn't that have been easy? Could have bypassed all the the pain of this world, and here you are saved to serve. God says, I have left you on this earth with a mission, and that mission is to serve me. What would hold you back from serving the Lord today? Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. He created us. We're his workmanship. He created you to do good works. He created you to serve. 
Uh, Ephesians 2.10, I'm going to just read this from a paraphrase. It says, no, we, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. So think about this. We are called to serve. Uh, Romans chapter 7 verse 4 says that we're called to bear fruit. God didn't just leave us on this earth so we could have this comfortable life. He left us here so that we could serve. So that we could be following him, accomplishing his goal. He has a plan for your life. And a big part of that plan is for you to serve him. To get involved. Take advantage of, of, of serving him. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about serving and they say, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What do I get out of serving? And it becomes this concept of, and they're comparing service to serve us. You know, it's like, am I going to have service to the Lord or am I going to come and see what I can get? Serve us. Serve me. And when we change that, where I'm serving the Lord, and it's not about me. Because many times you'll, you'll get involved and you'll be serving somewhere. You'll do something for the Lord. And you may come home, you may be tired. <laughs> you may be worn out. You know, I think of, think of those guys over there last week over at, uh, at Stray Street. Those guys were there pretty late, you know, and, and they come home. They're tired out. Sean, I know you had to be tired. You're running around with junior hires out there. But as, as you're involved with ministry, it's not about me. I'm not the center of why I do this. I serve because I'm serving the Lord. It was no accident that Solomon the king here is talking to God, and he's affirming indeed that he is a servant. And if you look through these kings, many, many times you'll see, and he served the Lord. And this one served the Lord. And then you'll see every now and then, this king did not serve the Lord. But here, Solomon, at this point in his life, is serving the Lord, and he's following the Lord. Verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Of all the things that Solomon could have asked for, of all those things that he needed as king, and certainly there were many things that he needed as king, in response God, to God telling him to ask, he responds, Lord, I need an understanding heart. Solomon asked for wisdom. The idea behind that word understanding is like a listening heart. Uh, this concept of wisdom, that I could see more than what's actually face value. That I could actually have your wisdom, Lord, to rule. Your wisdom to govern. So God asked wisdom. Uh, Solomon asked for wisdom, and he needed it to accomplish what God had called him to do. He asked for this wisdom because God had called him to serve the Lord. And so he wasn't asking for wisdom for his personal gain. He was asking for wisdom so that he could serve the Lord. God, you've given me a, a job to do. I'm, I'm now the servant. I'm the king on the throne of this country. And of all the things I need, I need your wisdom to help me do what you've called me to do. It wasn't about himself. But what is wisdom? Let's think about what wisdom is today. Uh, I was thinking about this throughout the week. And, and as I was preparing and praying over this, I'm thinking, what, what is wisdom? I had this, this uh, thing happen to me over the past week. My mother has a little house over here in Hackett. And uh, 
in her house, the hot water tank was leaking, and it was leaking fast. And, uh, and I told Jim Watts, I'm going to go over and replace her water tank, her hot water heater. And Jim looked at me, and he goes, don't you dare go without a plumber. And I'm like, Jim, I'm a man now. I can do this, right? So I go over, and, uh, and I took his advice, but I took the plumber with me. So I called Bill Iotis. Bill Iotis goes in there with me, and I will, you know, we take the old hot water tank out, put the new one in, and as, uh, as we put all the last valves on, I'm thinking, I didn't need Bill. I could have done that. You know, it's just a couple pipes, right? And all of a sudden, the water, we hear this water gushing. And it's coming out the relief valve of the water tank. And it's going, out, you know, it, it has a pipe and takes it underneath, a, underneath her drain down there. But it was like, and Bill's like, oh, we got major problems. And he pulls out all his, all his devices, he tests, and we found out that it needed major surgery underneath in a crawl space. So, you know, Jim had wisdom to know that I wouldn't be able to handle what was going to happen over there. Okay, and, and I was like, you know, I just want to help my mother. Was well, there anything wrong with just trying to help your mother? And Jim had a little bit of wisdom, and he said, don't go without the plumber. He said, there's always things that come up. And I'm like, it's just a hot water tank. But his wisdom, he saw something more than the face value. I was looking at the face value. I can do this, right? He saw there's a solution that's a little bit bigger and there may be more problems that you're not encountering here. That, that was wisdom. Wisdom is the insight to see through the very difficult practical issues to, uh, to a solution that very few can think of. That's wisdom. I'm seeing there's this difficult situation, and God gives you that insight, that wisdom to be able to see through. J.I. Packer said this in his book, Knowing God. He says, wisdom is the power to see and then inclination to choose the best and the highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. To see and to choose the best and highest goal. You see, and that's what wisdom is. God, God wants to give us wisdom to serve Him. And as I need that wisdom, I'm, I'm involved with serving. And as I go out and I say, all right, Lord, you've given me this task to do, I need God to help me see more than face value. I need him to help me see what he's trying to do, not what I'm trying to do. Um, Proverbs 3.13 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Proverbs 24.13 and 14, My child, eat honey for it is good, and the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. In the same way, wisdom is sweet to your soul if you find it you will have a bright future and your hopes will not be cut short. Wisdom. We need to ask God for wisdom. We need to come and say, Lord, this is not about what I see this, this situation to be. What is your wisdom in this situation? Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And if we don't have wisdom, God says that we're to call on him for wisdom. James 1.5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Ask our generous God if you need wisdom. So you're, you're involved in a ministry. You're involved in your life. You're, you're out there working for the Lord. God says, you need wisdom, call on me. I'm going to provide it. I'm going to give you the wisdom that you need. 
All you have to do is ask. Sometimes you may be saying, well, you know, why did I mess up on some areas? Why? I wish I would have had that wisdom. I, I even asked God for wisdom and I didn't get it. Uh, if you go over to James 4.3, it says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And you see, there's the perspective. God says when you're coming to him and you're asking, we're to ask for his pleasure. We're to ask for his purpose, for his goal. That's what serving is. You're joining him. You're getting on his team. You know, when you think that God wants you to be on his team, that's a pretty powerful thought. That God has called us to serve and you get to be on his team. And he says, I'm going to help you to be able to accomplish what I've called you to do by you coming and asking me, and I will give you the wisdom that you need. So look at the response here today. Here's the response. God responds to his request for wisdom. It says, the speech, this speech pleased the Lord that Solomon has asked for this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be anyone arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked. I've given you both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of all the days. So, if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So God responds to him, and not only does he give him the wisdom, but he gives him the things that he didn't ask for. He gives him the riches. He gives him the honor. Verse 15, then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all of his servants. Today we think of Solomon as one of the wisest men ever to live. Solomon was remembered ever in 1 Kings 4.32. He was remembered as having 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs in his repertoire. He wrote a good part of the proverbs, Song of Solomon, um, Ecclesiastes, and we see all this wisdom literature. God gave this man wisdom. And as this wisdom, uh, he was able to have that wisdom and it was recorded for us, and we can use that wisdom. But God makes a promise to Solomon, and he gets to use it right away. He gets to use this wisdom. And if you read further in the chapter, you'll see that immediately two women arrive with one baby. Uh, both had given birth, but one had rolled over on her baby and smothered it. She took the live baby from the other woman and left the dead baby with her. In the morning, the mother of the live baby discovered what had happened. Somehow they got access to the king, and she says, uh, and they say to the king, please solve this dispute. So God gives Solomon wisdom. And at this point, Solomon might have had despair, might have been despaired, and he could have said, wow, how can I, how can I do this? I wasn't there. I, I've never met your babies, and you know, I was not a witness to this. There are no witnesses. I can't do this. But God gave him wisdom. And here's what he did. He said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. 
And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half, uh, half to one and half to the other. So he says, take that sword, divide it in half, and we're going to give that kid, you'll each take home part of this baby. But before it could happen, the true mother said, and this is in verse 26, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. Then Solomon said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. That's wisdom. There was a situation that looked like there was no answer. It looked like, how do I deal with this thing? And if you read on to the end of the chapter there, you'll see it says that King Solomon was now known for his wisdom. He was able to lead and govern by the wisdom that God had given him. That's what wisdom is. We are faced with situations that we see there is no, no way out. We see there's pain. We see there's torture. We see all these things that we have to deal with. But as we're coming here, God says, look from my perspective. Let me give you my wisdom. And that's why in Proverbs we're told to lean not onto our own, to our own understanding but acknowledge him in all your ways. So here, here we are. We're looking at this situation. Seems like there's no way out. There's no, there's no viable good solution here. And we have to ask God for wisdom. And he gives us what nobody else can seem to see. And we have peace because there's that wisdom. And when I'm not relying on God's wisdom, I tend to rely on my own understanding. I come back and I get all panicked. I get emotional, I, get, I, get, I have all these things that happen inside of me because I'm trying to solve a situation, I'm trying to fix it for me. God's plan is take yourself out of the center of the universe and look at it from God's perspective and let His wisdom reign. Let His wisdom rule. And we can go home and be happy. We can walk away from the situation and be in peace because God is in control and it's His wisdom He's the one that has to supply that. Every believer has a place to serve. God has a place for every believer to serve him. I want to encourage you. Go, go out of here when we leave today. Stop by all those tables. And encourage those, those folks that, are, that have those different ministries. See how that you can jump in. And Man, what can I do? How can I get involved? And you're going to need God's wisdom. Because it's not about you. You're going to get involved in a situation. You may be helping, and you're going to say, okay, I need God. I need your wisdom to help me here. How do I relate to a third grader? How do I relate to anybody? <laughs> How do I do this task that God has called me to do? And I just jump in and ask him for his wisdom, and he does it. It's time that we get in the game, but we have to get in his game because he's the one who's given us the place to serve. He's the one who's given us the wisdom if we'll call on him for his purposes. Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, I'd just like to challenge you this morning to take an action today as we leave this place. Seek how God wants you to serve. How are you serving him? What has he called you to do? You, he has people in this community that you're to go out and reach in your world. He has people in the church that you're to reach out and encourage to serve within this body of believers up here on the hill. And you're going to need His help. He's not telling you to go out there and do this in your own strength. He saved you to serve. 
Respond to Him now. Call on Him for that wisdom that you need for that situation. Ask God right now to take you out of the center of your universe and that you'll put Him in the center of your universe. Follow His will. Follow His ways. And ask Him for the strength to accomplish what He's called you to do. Father God, I come before you and I thank you so much for the the lessons that we can learn from these men of old. Thank you for the rich history we have of, of a man who really did live. A man who sought after you and you had a conversation with him. And he responded to you. God, I pray that you help us as we respond to you. Help us, Lord, to, to find that area of service. As we serve you and, and we just keep serving you and keep serving you, we know that you will, you will provide us the strength, the wisdom, the power that we need to accomplish what you've called us to do. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.